If you would now, turn your um, eyes to your bulletin for the scripture reading, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. For my children present, what I like to tell you is that first number six, that's your big number. So you're going to find the book of 1 Timothy, and then you're looking for the big, bold, it's usually a lot larger, number six. And then once you find that big six, you're going to follow your finger down until you find small 17. Tell those rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God, who piles on all the riches we could ever manage, to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life, That is truly life. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Miss Brooke and Miss Danica, and thank you all for having these tremendous children here today, and thank you again, Tyson, for the the beautiful offertory. We've had so many wonderful things happening today. The thought fleetingly passed my mind, well, we'll just sing the closing hymn and have the benediction and go home, but we're not going to vote on that, so please please stay put for just a, a little while longer, if you will. It's so good to see so many of you here and all of you who've joined us in other ways today. And so it begins again this year as it does every year at about this time, our stewardship emphasis a journey to greater commitment in general and a journey to extravagant generosity in particular. The more optimistic among us often refer to the journey as an adventure. The more pessimistic refer to it as one more dog and pony show. The children just want to know, are we there yet? Extravagant generosity, the heart of giving. Will we recognize the place when we arrive? I believe that some of you are already there. Please be patient with the rest of us. Perhaps you'd be willing to show us around the place and point out to us the advantages of living in a land of extravagant generosity. Extravagant generosity, the heart of giving, it's a magnificent biblical word, a magnificent biblical concept. Often it's paired up with the word soul, the heart of giving, the soul of giving. Folks often speak of the heart and soul of the matter and our hearts, our inner being, who we really are and not just who we appear to be. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Prophet Jeremiah would tell us in chapter 17 and verse 9, but not so the heart that has been conquered and cleansed and claimed by Christ. And I think Jeremiah would most likely agree. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Luke 12, 34. It's a good verse to remember. If we lose our heart, we know where to look. Those who are of a merry heart will have a continual feast. Proverbs 15, 15. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. There's that heart and soul thing again. It keeps popping up all through the scriptures. Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Extravagant generosity. The heart of giving, that's the name that we'll see on the city limit sign when we finally arrive. The first leg of the journey, I prefer to think of it as an adventure, is outlined for us today from the scripture lesson from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Brooke led us in the reading of that while ago, and many of you were able to follow along, even some of our children. I want to look at each line of that very quickly and ask how far is it? to extravagant generosity. How many miles do we have to travel? It depends on where we're starting from, doesn't it? It's a longer trip to extravagant generosity for some folk than it is for others. Tell those rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money which is here today and gone tomorrow. The problem or one of the problems with being full of ourselves, is that it doesn't leave much room for anyone else. The more of self that we pour out, the more space we create for others, the more space we make within for the Spirit of God. I'm not advocating being something or someone other than who we really are. But I'm talking about employing our gifts and our graces in the service of God and in the service of neighbor. Another way of describing being full of ourselves is to say that we are selfish. Selfishness and obsession with money, they're sort of kissing cousins, aren't they? All righty then, let me go around the barn to get back to where we are and maybe a little further along. In his book, The Good Life, Peter Gomes and He's deceased now, I believe he was the chaplain at Harvard for a long time and quite the writer and theologian. He talks about truths that we need in time of need and chapter five in that book, success and how do we know if we've made it? Just a couple of his thoughts. He says, success is a moral concept is difficult to classify. I will not find it or one will not find it on any classical list of virtues. Moralists tend to avoid it as a subject, and theologians seem more comfortable talking about failure than about success. William James, in a famous letter to H.G. Wells, this is in 1906. Pay attention to, to that year. This is not written now, 1906. William James credited what he called American moral flabbiness to the worship of the goddess success. That, with the squalid cash interpretation put on the word success, he says, is our national disease. Those were, and those remain, very strong words, suggesting, as they do, that success is corrosive of virtue because, more often than not, we yield to the temptation to make, vir- make a virtue a success. And when we do know the content of success, we are, when we don't know the content of success, we're in trouble. 
One of the staples, he says, that's in the larder of cliches that we use at graduation times. And he talks about that. He says over the years, he's watched with increasing horror at graduation time. It used to be a time when we would congratulate, when others would congratulate and recognize those who are graduating. But he said it's become more and more kind of a self-congratulatory kind of thing where people become their own biggest cheerleaders, afraid that their success will go unnoticed unless they're cheering for themselves. He said many are like the egocentric actor John Barrymore, who is said to have remarked after a long career that his only regret was that he never had an opportunity to watch himself on the stage. Full of self, obsessed with money, we could dwell on the opening phrase of our scripture lesson for a long, long time, but we won't do that. So the next phrase, tell them to go after God who piles on all the riches that we could ever manage. Back in the late 19, and these aren't exact dates, but back in the late 1970s, early to mid 1980s, the charismatic move was in full blossom in the Christian faith. Focus was on the third person of the Trinity, the the Holy Spirit and on the gifts of the Spirit. And speaking in tongues was one of those hallmarks One of those indications that someone had the Holy Spirit that people kind of held up and said, here's the standard. If you've got the Spirit, then you'll have this gift. And that created some difficulties. Now, as a brief aside, and I won't take too much time to run this rabbit because I've told this story before, but it keeps coming back to me. I recall officiating at a funeral service for a neighbor whose wife belonged to our church, and that was in Millersville, Georgia, and that was several years ago. The daughter, who was of another denomination, insisted that her dad's funeral service be held at her church, and so we did that. And when the funeral was over, the daughter thanked me for helping out at her dad's service, and then she said, she added these words, for a moment there, I thought you were going to get the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I thought, oh my, what she doesn't know is if it weren't for the Holy Spirit, I would not be able to stand up in front of all these folks in the presence of the dearly departed and and say what I'm saying, to do what I'm doing. Without the Spirit, even to this day, it would not be possible. For a moment there, I thought you were going to get the Holy Spirit, and I'm still wondering, even to this day, if that was a, a compliment or an accusation. It may have been both. And it was during that charismatic movement time that one of my colleagues, now deceased, spoke some words that have really stuck with me that I think tie into our theme for today. And this man said over and over again, and I don't think I'll ever forget this, he said, seek the giver and not the gifts. Seek the giver and not the gifts. I've thought about that over and over again. Think about Paul's words to Timothy. Tell them to go after God, to seek God who piles on all the riches that we'll ever be able to manage. Go after God, seek God, set our hopes on God. How? I believe that the classical ways are still the best through prayer and through worship And through loving service to the last and the lost and the least in this world, that's how we go after God. That's how we seek God. Now, in one of his earlier books, Reading the Bible with Mind and Heart, I mentioned Peter Gomes a moment ago. 
He said, wealth is not what you have. Wealth is what has been given to you so that you may give to others. This is what the Bible calls being rich toward God. Wealth is neither having nor getting. Wealth for the Christian begins receiving with gratitude that which God has given to us and using that to bless others. Seek the giver and not the gifts. And then the lesson continues that we read a moment ago. Tell them to do good. Some of you will remember a few years back, Bishop Reuben Job, United Methodist Bishop, he's now deceased, wrote a small book that has been studied in this church and in Sunday school classes and elsewhere, and maybe you've read it. It's called Three Simple Rules for Christian Living. And these are based on some things that John Wesley said years ago. But the first of these simple rules is do good. I'm sorry, is do no harm. That comes first. The second is do good. And the third is stay in love with God. That's through worship and through prayer and through spending time with God. But that second rule, do good, comes from today's passage. Bishop Joe calls doing good a proactive way of living. He said, I don't need to wait until circumstances crowd for aid to relieve suffering or to correct some other injustice in this world. I can decide that my way of living will come down on the side of doing good to all and every circumstance and in every way that I can. He says that sometimes we are reluctant to do good because of our fear that others may reject our gifts or they might ridicule us or they might misuse the gift. Rejection of our efforts may range from simply being ignored to outright opposition The desire to do good, though, is not limited by the thoughts or the actions of others. Sometimes we confuse who is in control and what's not. It's within my control to choose to do good. Other people choose their response to that, and that's up to them. But that doesn't keep us from doing good and from being a blessing to others. What are they going to do with that gift? And this just came to mind remembering... uh, a Sunday after worship in in Jonesboro several years ago. And there was a guy who had wandered in off the street and he was obviously in need of some things. He appeared to be. And um, one of our women in the church, she said, I'm a little bit afraid of that guy, but here's $5. Will you give it to him? And I said, yeah, I'll I'll do that. And I did and said, this woman here would like for, for you to have this. And he said, oh, tell her how grateful I am. Now I can walk across the street to the convenience store and buy a cigarette lighter. See, the truth is when we put a gift in somebody else's hand, then it's beyond us. It's beyond us. We've done what we've been called to do. We can't control that. But we can control our generosity. Bishop Job continues, and the reward for my doing good is not canceled, is not diminished by the response of those who are receiving the gift. I need to hear that over and over again. What are they going to do with that money? Well, once it's out of our hands, that's not our call. We hope and pray for the best. At times, we make a difference in the lives of others. Whether they accept our gift or reject our gift, we are blessed 
We're called to be a blessing. And then the journey of our heart progresses according to our passage. Every turn of the tire brings us closer to that land of extravagant generosity. Are we there yet? Throughout the Wesley Study Bible, and I don't know if that's a copy of the Bible, a version that any of you are familiar with based on the comments and the notes of John Wesley on every passage. But one of the subsections, life applications, is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, where we've been looking this morning. The chapter where today's passage is located, it's labeled True Riches. And he says that the love of money, not money itself, leads to evil. But don't miss Paul's warning We fall in love with money all too easily, and it quickly becomes the driving point of our lives. It helps to remember how easily wealth disappears, stock prices go down, storms sweep away homes. With wealth comes the challenge to learn to use what tools we have been given, to grow in compassion and in faith, to learn faithfulness we must learn to give. In the end, we will become not what we own, but what we do. Good and generous hearts build lives worth living. To be rich in helping others, or as another version of the Bible says, to be rich in good works. For John Wesley, we cannot stay in the faith unless our faith leads to hope for the world and to love for others and to hope for the creation. This is not just a me and Jesus got it all figured out and we're on our way to glory kind of thing. We're here to bless And to make a difference in this divided and broken and hurting world. Good works are expressions of our faith. These emanate from our new being in Christ. Just as a good tree bears good fruit. The spiritual disciplines exist so that we may take hold of the life that is really worth living. How easy it is to miss it. To be rich in helping others. Ministry flowing from the heart of this great church. We are in ministry through our gifts all around this world, through our larger denomination, and we are in ministry in these buildings here. Even when we've been apart, there have been some things happening here, and we've been in ministry in this community as we begin to open these doors. We allow community groups back in, and we bless them that they might bless others. And ministry flows from from here to there and back again. We are faithful supporters of bridging the gap just down the road, just around the corner. They assist so many folk in this community, folks who stop by looking for help. And so many of our own folks have been blessed across the years, and we are blessed to be a part of that. So many other ministries flowing from the heart. It's astounding when we look at the whole list. To do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagant, generous extravagant generosity is the destination of our hearts isn't it why should extravagant generosity be our desired destination and what difference does it make let me just briefly and quickly lift up four things here and then we'll we'll draw to a close these are very quick giving number one helps congregations like this to thrive many folks love their church and they want these life-changing ministries to prosper And I can't imagine not wanting to be a part of that. Number two, giving aligns us with God's purpose. As one Jesus follower puts it, if God gives you the capacity and the passion to want to do something, why in God's name would you not do it? 
Number three, giving changes us inside. It can get rid of greediness and selfishness and self-centeredness. It can push all that junk out of our lives. And then number four, giving mirrors God's nature. It helps us to overcome the influences of a culture that's always telling us you don't have enough. You don't have enough. A little more, a little more, a little more. And the hole in our heart grows larger, not fuller. There are many other reasons, but ultimately giving honors Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us. We give because we have received by practicing extravagant generosity in our whole life. We build a treasury that will last. We gain life that is truly life. Extravagant generosity is our destination. And I hope and I pray for you and for me and for all of us that this will become a journey, an adventure of biblical proportions. Extravagant generosity. I want you to just examine your hearts as I look deep into my own heart. Together we examine the heart of this church. And only then will we be able to answer the children's question, are we there yet? Amen.